Hey, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Glad to have you with us. Great show in store for you. I'm going to learn a little bit. We're going to go back to school. Well, we're going to go to the library. How's that? Learn a little bit about some of the great sporting literature out there. If you're a budding collector or you just love to read or you just want to learn more about our literary history and the bird hunting and bird dog world, we've got an expert on that subject. So stick around. Your advice on better shooting will go to the Facebook page for a couple dozen tips. Don't worry, I won't use them all. Actually, 60 or so tips there. What a wonderful education. We'll talk about a crippling disease that your dog will likely get, but you can minimize the effects. And we'll talk about some of the places to stay along the way on your next public access hunting trip. So keep it tuned right here to the Upland Nation podcast for all of that and who knows what else. Well, I think I was a little early on this one. As you know, I'm relearning the instinctive style of shooting. And um, against, against the recommendations of my friend Buzz Fawcett's book, I actually went out and shot sporting clays with some new and old friends. I don't think I'm quite ready for prime time yet, and it showed on the first couple stations. But after I got things dialed in, I I was doing better than I thought. And then I finished on the practice trap where all the targets are slower and lower. And I did pretty good. So if you're struggling with something like that yourself, just remember, back to the basics, perfect practice makes perfect. Sure enjoyed that. Rob, Manuel, Wade, great to see you all. Thank you so much for putting up with my shooting. What are you working on these days? Is it the shooting thing? Is it the dog training? Well, all of the above. Yeah, here too. Yeah. Maybe something we can talk about today will help you in that regard. But I got to just relate one more thing. I was, um, I always try to stop in and at least have a beer or two at my favorite Mexican restaurant periodically just to get caught up on all the family affairs. And this time around, when I looked at the big crowd, which is a good thing, I saw a couple judges from far away and a couple of our own NAVDA chapter officers. Yeah, they were all together because we had a little, um, we used to call them um, handlers clinics. Now they have another name for them, but you know what they are if you're in NAVDA. If you're in another organization that trains dogs, uh, well, you probably have your own version of the same thing. And, and it got me to thinking how many of those people will go so far to help out. In fact, some of those judges probably flew 500, 600 miles to get here to help out, just to help out. No fees involved, just to help. If you're one of those volunteers, whether traveling type, the local type, or if you're a chapter or a club officer, if you're listening and you're a member of a club, go out of your way and thank those folks who are doing so much to help out. Yeah, and speaking of helping out, uh, when I ask on Facebook for your help, sometimes it's selfish, but I'm trying to ask selfish questions that might be of 
interest to other people as well. And that was the, the nature of this question a few days ago. Uh, I asked for your one and only best shooting tip. And boy, oh boy, did I get a handful. In fact, more than a handful. 64 comments when I last looked. So um, here are some for fun and profit, such as it is. Timothy Mitchell says, have my hunting buddy shoot so I don't make my dog mad at me when I miss. Absolutely true. Mike Siebert has some great tips, so listen carefully. If you're a pheasant hunter, he says, tail, bird, beak, bang. Grouse are a quick snapshot where you think the bird's going to be, but they'll probably put a tree between themselves and your shot pattern. Absolutely. Ducks and geese, wait for the landing gear to come out. Don't shoot anything that's not decoying. Man, isn't that the truth? If they're going at a mile a minute, you're not going to hit them anyway. Woodcock, let the dog work, flush, and then miss on purpose. Give the little guys a break. Yeah, they are the bird that looks like it was assembled by a committee. Absolutely. Norman Nelson says he has flinching disease. That's why his dad will often hand him a shotgun and throw a clay. Since the gun was not loaded, he'd flinch. Do we have pills for that condition? <laughs> I remember when I was learning instinctive style the first time, and I'd get a misfire or something like that. I would tip over forward sometimes. That's Well, that's kind of how we learn that style, but that that's a story for some other time. Paul Finzer says, knock the bead off the end of the barrel. Remember, you're pointing, not aiming. Joe Schaefer says, keep your head down. Don't lift your head off the stock. Buzz Fawcett, that uh, instructor I started with, uh, said, uh, wood to wood. Dave DeSmither says, miss them in front. Yeah, when we were shooting last weekend, uh, I remember somebody saying, I think I'm ahead of that bird. And I said, I, you know, I just don't think that ever happens. Okay, um, Tim, Tom Moen says, don't rush the first shot. Oh, and by the way, do as he says, not as he does. George Cummins, you've got it together. Be physically loose, stay mentally tight. Make sure your gun is loaded, says Tony Arneson. And finally... Dave Allen says something that I'm working on right now because I'm learning actually to close my dominant eye so I can actually hit stuff while shooting with the wrong arm. Dave Allen says, pause for a quick second, slow down slightly. Thank you all for your tips. Man, oh man, we can all use some more of that and I sure appreciate it. More to come in that regard down the road and who knows what else. We'll be talking about that kind of stuff for quite a while this summer on the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host, reminding you that we are brought to you in part by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, crafted at the highest caliber. Thank you, Fred Bohm, for your sponsorship and for your great products. Heirloom quality, no matter what you're looking at, at sageandbreaker.com. Always free shipping get on the mailing list and you'll have the first crack at all the new stuff including that gun grease and clp they're they're both in my truck i use them every time i shoot and if you're looking for gear beyond shooting gear go to uplandnationdeals.com ori listed a bird launcher and a gps collar there they sold in 24 hours so if you're looking to get shed of some of your light lightly used pro level gear that's the place to do it. And if you're looking for broken in but not broken pro-level gear 
at entry-level prices. It's all at UplandNationDeals.com. All right. So I promised you um, a whole bunch of information about sporting literature. And I want to thank Preston Fulmer, one of our uh, listeners, for suggesting this. I'm, I'm a fanatic reader. I read everything I can get my hands on from cereal boxes to the back of milk cartons and every sporting book I can get my grubby hands on. So when I came across Glenn Blackwood's column in a recent Upland Almanac magazine, I thought, okay, two and two. Thank you, Preston. Thank you, Glenn Blackwood, for joining us. Appreciate your being on the Upland Nation podcast, Glenn. Thanks for the invitation. Love, uh, I love to talk about sporting books, and uh, this will be fun. It will. That's my only promise. Beyond that, we'll see where it goes. But I, I think just the whole idea of kind of getting a little bit wonky about uh, particularly bird hunting and bird dog literature, it, it's okay with this crowd. A lot of us are into that, whether we're reading stuff from the magazine, like in the 799.22 area, the, the, the classic literature, or anything else. Everybody's got a bit of an interest in all of that. Now, you know, you, you're not just a guy, you're not just a, like a, a wannabe librarian or, or that sort of thing. You write these reviews. You also do the same thing for the Rough Grouse Society. And you also have a day job with the RGS. What are you doing with them? Well, uh, I'm a regional development director for Rough Grouse Society uh, for Michigan, uh, Indiana, and Illinois. Been with them for about a year now. It's kind of a second career from uh, my previous career. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm one of those guys that decided to, uh, to change, uh, careers 10 minutes before a pandemic, which has made it interesting. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. certainly, uh, we've been working on, uh, you know, development, uh, fundraising activities, chapter events, conservation events for, for RGS and AWS, the American Woodcock uh, society for for the past year in in those states so uh, it's been a, a a good change of pace um and keeps me uh uh involved in a day-to-day basis with with conservation which is very very important to me um and you know also gives me a some time to uh to continue to read and explore uh the genre of books that that i like uh which i call american sporting literature well, uh, number one, thanks for your work with, with the RGS. I think I was the first uh, first place that um, that your executive director was interviewed after the reorganization. Oh, probably about a year ago now that I think about it. And, uh, and it sounds like things are at least moving in the right direction. It's been a tough time for every conservation group. But let's focus on the positive and the lasting, the stuff that really has substance around here, and that is the literature of our favorite sports how do you get into that whole side of things um really it's uh i can blame my grandparents and parents um from the very beginning uh my father was a conservation officer uh in the state of ohio for 35 years so i grew up in a a, a conservation sporting world on a day-to-day basis um as were my grandparents and as a little kid they started buying me uh signed first edition sporting books um for birthday and christmas presents 
Um, this is back, uh, kind of dating my age here, but uh, in the early 70s. So, uh, you know, Christmas morn, there could be a signed Gene Hill book, a signed Charlie Waterman book, a uh, signed uh, fly angling book from someone. Um, and uh, I got involved in collecting and uh, just have stayed with it through uh, throughout the years. You know, it's funny you bring up fly fishing too. We we have that in common as well. And uh, a, a background, my background is started there actually. And, and it's amazing to me. Do you see the same thing? Are there a lot of folks who do those two things as opposed to some other thing with our bird hunting or some other thing with our fly fishing? Well, I, I think uh, those two sports parallel themselves <clears throat> very closely together um you know from a, a time of the year standpoint from a, a individual pursuit standpoint from a, an aesthetic beauty standpoint um you know the so yeah there is a lot of parallelism between i think fly fishing and wing shooting um just as uh, you know there's parallelism between big game hunting and trophy angling, um, saltwater sure. angling yeah. and things. Yeah. Um, and so those parallelisms you, you find in books and literature, um, but you also find in, in people's dynamics and what they like. You know, it's funny that uh, in, uh, I've never heard bird hunting, wing shooting described this way, but in fly fishing, people will call it the contemplative sport. And, you know, if, you, if you're into it, you know exactly what I mean. And if you're not into it, basically what it means is we sit around scratching our heads while holding a stick, in, you know, waist deep in the water a lot of times. Uh, but it does cause a little bit of introspection. And, and now that I think about it, that is very similar to what we're doing when we're walking a prairie or walking the woods, looking for a dog or wondering where our truck is. Uh, and I don't mean to discount that. I'm, I'm having a little fun here. But we do the same kind of contemplation out in the in you know in the grouse woods don't we well i i certainly whether you're in the grouse in the woodcock woods or you're on the prairies um i think you know there's there's certainly um a little bit of uh, cerebral ascetic aspects um as we're walking or waiting um, that, that gives us an opportunity to, to kind of be uh, re reflective or retrospective, maybe, is a better term, um, on why we're there, what we want out of the opportunity, uh, you know, what is the, the end result. Um, and when we're talking about these things, by and large, um, the beauty of it all is that we're talking about wild creatures um, and it's that wildness you know that takes us there um, it's the wildness of the environs where they live you know we can't propagate grouse or wood, rough grouse or woodcock or sage grouse or prairie chickens or sharp tails um, through poultry science the way we can some other game birds. And I'm not trying to discount other game birds. But the magical aspect of them is 
that they're wild. Um, the same way as, you know, if, if you're chasing wild trout or, you know, and <clears throat> I can, can really go off on, on a tangent and say, you know, I don't know too many places um, that, that stock bluegills. Now there's some, some hybrid bluegills that get stocked, <laughs> but a lot of the times that we're catching bluegills, those critters are as wild as the day is long and uh, have uh, prospered um, through their own tenacity and wildness. Yeah, that's a that is a, in a nutshell. I think that is probably deep down inside what what motivates a lot of us, and not just the critter itself, but the places they dwell. And and you know better than I that uh, you know that yeah, that's one of the things that Robert Travers wrote about in his Testament of a Fisherman was uh, th- there's no such thing as an ugly place where where they dwell. So all of that that is very true all of that is is part of it and and we'll get back to all of that but first off i want to take you to one of those christmases in the 70s when you unwrapped an incredible signed edition of something can you can you tell us how that felt maybe even the the book and why you felt that way about that book and that author oh uh, i mean i can go to to several uh several of them um I think uh, the one that that really, um, I guess, touches the heartstrings, if you will, is uh, my school library had a copy of Robert Rourke's Old Man and the Boy. Um, and I stumbled across Rourke actually through a school library. And at that time, The Old Man and the Boy was out of print. And I read The Old Man and the Boy, and I, I read The Old Man and the Boy Grows Older, which then took me to other work titles, Something of Value, um, Aruhu, um, Use Enough Gun. Anyway, it goes on and on. But, um, you know, you, you just, at that time, you just couldn't go buy an Old Man and the Boy off the shelf. And, uh, I can remember, I think I was 15 at the time. Um, and I was, uh, was gifted, uh, hardback used pre-owned copies of both, uh, those two work titles, um, the old man and the boy and the old man boys grows older. And, uh, those are, I mean, cherished, cherished things. It's got to be interesting to uh, think back that far on that particular instance, and then, and then come all the way to the present where you're basically, uh, you're a bookseller to a to to a great degree, and and so you're you're constantly looking for great literature, current, contemporary, and also the old stuff uh, for your own collection or for anything else. What about these? You know, the people who are still alive and breathing here in the United States or anywhere else for that matter. Can you name a couple authors that we may not have heard of that we probably ought to go out and learn more about, read their books? Well, I, I, I mean, you know, if you're talking current writers uh, that are out there, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, I think, uh, well, Ted Lundgren just died here in the past few months. Uh, his grouse and woodcock things are, are very strong. 
uh, Steve Smith, the former editor of Pointing Dog Journal. Sure. Um, Steve's, uh, you know, has a, a new book out uh, talking about traveling wing shooting. Um, Steve is is a, a modern day writer that uh, is very very good and and goes back over time um, with his his woodcock shooting book um, or both of his woodcock shooting books actually. Uh, so that would be a, a Michigan-based author uh, that's there. I think Ben Williams, um, in writing about uh, the American West, um, has kind of fallen into that steps where uh, Charlie Waterman um, did some things before. You know, there's there's lots of, of opportunities out there to read. I, I kind of like going back in time uh in and not discounting anybody that's that's fresh and new um whatsoever uh but i think really the the fun stuff um that's out there um you know is more a little more nostalgic for me or, or takes us back in time um you know, and everybody says the grand old days and are we experiencing the grand old days now? In a lot of ways we are because of transportation. But, you know, to hear people, you know, Ray Holland talking about taking dogs um, in the winter months to Cuba and hunting quail to <clears throat> keep his dog skills up before the spring trial season. It's pretty interesting to me. You, you know, you, you just hit on something that I'm fascinated by, and that's how other people do it in other places. And Holland is a good example. And, and, you know, there's more people writing about South America. Um, somebody's going to hunt chuckers in Iran very soon. Uh, Afghanistan, many of my friends who were over there, thank you for your service guys, uh, report that there's still plenty out there. I have lots of fans in Pakistan, for example. Are there any books in that realm that, that we can pick up besides Holland's book that take us on a journey? Well, certainly I think, uh, you can look at writers that, that traveled, um, you know, you're going to find more of those type of books or s stories, if you will, in European style writings than you are Americans because some places are off limits. Um, but Michael McIntosh's Wandering of a Traveling Sportsman uh, talks some of that, um, not just... Um, driven bird shooting uh but some of those things uh john humphreys um who used to write for the shooting times a big punt gunner in the uk um john's deceased but a, a very talented english writer um but uh, wrote some interesting pieces about uh hunting in that uh iran uh rock uh, that part of the middle east uh, in his career as well. You know, that might be a good place to, to take a quick break, give you a chance to catch your breath while I hopefully pay a couple of bills around here. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. On that end is Glenn Blackwood, the columnist for Upland Almanac magazine and does book reviews for the Rough Grouse Society, among other things. 
And I'm Scott Linden, your host. Uh, quick reminders coming up right after this. And that means it's time to remind you that the Upland Nation podcast is brought to you in part by Dr. Tim's Performance Dog Food. Tim Hunt knows of what he speaks, and here's one thing that he's taught me very well, and maybe it's relevant to you right now. I was having a beer with a buddy of mine, and we were looking at the waistline of his dog. She's kind of part Labrador, so it's a little easy to put on weight, and he's thinking about changing her diet in the off-season as a result, and that's one way to do it. But um, Dr. Tim, sled dog racer, and friend to sled dog racer winners of the Iditarod suggest if you're going to do that then bring your dog back to the good stuff early enough to where it can actually have its desired effect high protein high fat for that performance bird dog of yours should be introduced again 60 days or more in advance of the season take my word for it Cutting back on your really good food is probably as good a way to do it as changing the formulation. If you'd like to learn more about his foods, go to drtims.com. Poke around there, find a food that might be of value to your dog, or two foods, one for the off-season and one for the season. Use the code UPLANDNATION and you'll get 30% off your first order. Speaking of dog care... And learning a lot for a video I just finished about arthritis. Scary part, some dogs as young as one year old will get it. Most dogs eight years or older already have it. If you doubt that, watch your own dog. If they won't jump up or down, that's an indication. If they slow down during a hunt, They may not show it as pain, they'll just change their pace. If they're slow to get off their bed or out of their crate in the morning, that's a pretty good indication too. Your dog is suffering from arthritis. Now there are things that I do that you might consider doing as well. The first is quit that jumping, up or down. The other is give that dog a good, thick bed that offers enough padding so that your dog's joints and bones are not contacting the ground. Yeah, on the road and at home. Keep your dog's weight down, just talked about that, and keep your dog's muscles toned up year round. That's the Handle It segment, and it is all about the things I learned the hard way so you don't have to. We're talking, well, I'll call them vintage books, literature about our favorite sport, wing shooting. Glenn, of course, is the columnist for the Upland Almanac magazine. He's also a regional development director for the Rough Grouse Society, where he also reviews some books every once in a while. Glenn, welcome back. Glad you joined me again. And, um... Let's just talk a little bit about uh, some of the, uh, the some of the titles that we should all at least read, whether we're collectors or not. Uh, bring us up to speed on a few of those top book titles. Well, I think you can break it down in in genre um, by what you like to read. Yeah. Um, I think uh, you know like on your uh, your 
promotion or commercial there. You talked about sled dogs and, uh, you know, good sporting books are good sporting books. Good books are good books. So, you know, do you want to read Jack London's Call to the Wild and hear about Buck or White Fang? Uh, again, those were seminal books, uh, dog books in, in my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're looking for sporting books and you like to shoot pheasants, I think Pheasants of the Mind by Datus Proper is one of those very, very good books that everybody that should read um, on the pheasant side of the thing. Um, if you're looking at grouse and woodcock type of things, you know, certainly um, you have burton spiller's writings uh you have forester's new england grouse shooting writings you have tom hugler or pieces uh you know a follow woodcock falls into those things uh the one thing that i like uh, and i tout and I, I really believe in anthologies are great ways to explore a multitude of voices in writing so in some of the best anthologies out there were done by Country Sport Press. You know, they did um, Bear November Days, which is an anthology of grouse hunting stories. Come October uh, was an anthology on woodcock. Pheasant Tales was an anthology on pheasant hunting. And some of those books that you can find um, are really can lead you down uh, the rabbit hole or, or trace you through whatever cover that you want and, and find other people's authors or voices um, that you may or may have not read before. Um, you know, Corey Ford's Minutes of the Lower 40 is certainly a classic. Gordon McQuarrie's um, stories, the old Duck Hunter series, um, are certain certainly classics in that upper Wisconsin area. Um, but you know, you also have, you know, some, some things out there, Charlie Waterman, another being one in the West. Um, but you know, as you start exploring, then you come across like little pieces like Annie pro who is best known for, you know, winning her literary awards with both, uh, uh, the shipping news and Brokeback Mountain, but she wrote some wonderful wing shooting stories early on in her career that were in the old Gray Sporting Journal when Ed and Rebecca Gray uh, was doing that, and Steve Bodio was on the masthead doing oh, the book review. Those were the days, believe me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and 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 I can go on on John Tainer Foot. I think, uh, you know, John Tainer Foot's uh, wing shooting writings, especially if you like dog stories. The story Jing, J-I-N-G, which was originally uh, published as part of uh, Eugene Conant's Derrydale series, I think is is one of the greatest dog stories of all time, as is Pocono Shot and the Dumbbell of Brookfield. Um, again, these are all stories of setters and trialing and pointing and quail and grouse and woodcock and the birds we chase after. So... You know, I think uh, those are, are just some in there. I think Gene Hill's writings um, are very, very strong. Um, and, you know, rereading a Hunter's Fireside book or Hill Country or mostly Tail Feathers um, is, is really, 
you know, titles that, uh, that are seminal and basis or and have a basis for you to go on and see other things. You know, albeit, what... it's, it, albeit it did in a different style. Sure. Um, Mike Gaddis's works. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, certainly, uh, Jenny Willow and Zip Zap, um, comes into, to a modern writer. Um, you know, a rough shooting dog is, is a, if for those that like spaniels, um, is a, is a great, great title as well. And I've forgotten which Fergus wrote that one. You'd think I would remember that. That was Charles. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. An incredible book. And, and by the way, uh, um, come on, who wrote Coulter? Coulter was written by Rick Bass. Thank you. So, you know, that's one of those ones that, you know, and Rick Bass is numerous spectacular outdoor writer there in Montana. Um, but you find those niches and pieces, you know, for the, the listening audience, Coulter's a, a story of a German shorthair. So if you fall into the, the, the German shorthair um, breed, that could be a really enjoyable story to you. Um, and, and that's what the great thing about great books are, um, is that they all have a story to tell. Um, and they're done well and they're done, you know, in a voice that's enjoyable. Um, so, you know, if you like short hairs, Coulter would be a really enjoyable read. Um, searches is, is, you know, a rough shooting dog, I think is, is a very lyrical, well done book that, that talks about uh, the relationship uh, between uh, a little field bred Springer Spaniel and the author in the Appalachian Bald Eagle Valley of central Pennsylvania. Um, but if that location or scene or setting or, you know, Spaniels doesn't float your boat, if you will, um, there's probably other things to read, no matter what I think uh, uh, of what you, if you should or should not. What if, I mean, let's talk a little bit about humor because, you know, in a lot of ways we could all use another laugh and uh, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, we need, we, we haven't had enough because of the pandemic or we're just looking for another dimension to our wing shooting career, if you will. Uh, humor is a great introduction to uh, literature, great literature. There's some incredible writers in that world. There's some current ones. There's some from way back and some in between. Could you recommend a few, um, you know, starter books or authors that are really good in that realm? Certainly, I would look at some of Corey Ford's writings. Um, Corey Ford, who wrote The Minutes of the Lower 40, best known for The Road to Tinkhamtown. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a professor at Dartmouth and was really known as uh, an American satirist, satirist mm-hmm. um, and used satire in a lot of his writings. And albeit that he wrote some things in a, a sporting venue, The Minutes of the Lower 40, he was also you know, published in the New Yorker, also published in Esquire and other magazines on a, a more literary, satirical 
uh, level. So certainly, um, I think his stories resonate uh, then as it does now. I think if you're looking at, at humor, um, Gene Hill's writings combine humor in some of the, the best ways possible, but also with the deep-rooted emotions uh, that go with being in the field in these sports um, as well. If, if you're looking at humor, um, I always come back to uh, he, he wrote some essays that he called the annual report, mm-hmm. which um, if you're familiar with, uh, with the book or the story, um, he's going to the chairman of the board, which is, is under the auspices of his wife and trying to justify um, – his fiscal malfeasance, if you will, for the entire year from dog collars to shotgun shells to, to pipes. So uh, um, fodder for our own domestic uh, negotiations. Exactly. <laughs> um, Hill also wrote a, a great piece and, and it's, it's one of those, those pieces that uh, I read as a kid, probably on a Christmas morning. Um, regarding Woodcock about how he's going out to get the mail or I think uh, actually oat milk and a Woodcock jumps on the hood of his car and he ends up in leaving New Jersey and ends up in Louisiana (laughs) with this Woodcock on the hood of his car kind of as an ornament directing the way and he kind of signs this thing to his wife though I've been gone a few months um, I believe we'll start our homeward migration in a few weeks. Um, so that's where that, that humor blends with um, the biology and the passion and the uniqueness of wanting to immerse ourselves, whether it's with dogs or with birds themselves. You, you just used the word immerse, and it, it got me, um, uh, I was just thinking, well, what is it about great literature? What does it do to us? Um, it takes us to another place, or it, uh, it reminds us of something we experienced, or it teases us with something we might experience down the road. What are the main reasons people are buying and reading these books? I think everybody comes to it from a, a, a different fashion. Um, for me, it's a way of life. I mean, I've read hunting and fishing books and, and, and don't get me wrong. I, re- I read other things too. I mean, if you, you look at where I'm sitting right now, um, there's two any pro books, uh, on the shelf. There's a really interesting natural history book called braiding sweet grass. Um, that was on the New York Times bestseller list um, <laughs> by Robin Wall Kimmerer, um, which uh, it talks about native plants. Um, you know, to there's uh, Hemingway's short stories. Um, I think uh, the best travel book, and when I mean travel, I mean a book to take with you when you're traveling, um, is... Uh, one of the annotated collections of Hemingway's short stories, because they're no matter what you're looking for, whether you want adventure in bullfighting or angling in the UP 
or safari in Africa because um, that has both the short or short happy life of Francis Macomber uh, in there as well as the hills of Kilimanjaro or the snows of Kilimanjaro um, that book provides it but why people read is is so individualistic um, you know young people you know young people I think are reading for one information and knowledge and you know we haven't really talked sure. about how to books but yeah. more but more lyrical things but they're they're longing for those days of field um, and they may or may not have the opportunities um, the way I was fortunate to have in a kid as a kid where you know not only did one set of grandparents have a farm but you know I could walk out our back porch jump the fence and and walk as long as I wanted to and be allowed to traipse. Um, so if you've been brought up in a, a more urban setting and you may only be able to, to chase wild birds or birds of some sort a handful of days, and let's face it, you know, bird season's pretty short, um, that's an escapism to, to get away and, and scratch your itch, if you will, or, or to you know, to live that, albeit vicariously through somebody else. Well, that is the joy uh, of literature in general, I think, mm -hmm. and you're absolutely right. And there's also, at least uh, uh, to me, at least uh, in my opinion, one thing that great literature can do for all of us is bring us a little bit closer to that entire legacy that we we are a part of, but we have just begun to be a part of, whereas there's hundreds of years of great history out there that we can learn this way. And, and it's important, at least again, in my opinion, that we, we do understand some of that, uh, whether it's the whys and the wherefores or the how to, and, and maybe we'll do that next on another Upland Nation podcast, talk about the how to books that are out there. Hey, maybe we'll do that about the time my third edition comes out in October. <laughs> I'm Scott Linden, your host. That's Glenn Blackwood. We're talking classic books, uh, classic with a you know a, a, a lowercase C, um, some of the the vintage stuff, and and some more contemporary things. If we were interested in this whole thing and we didn't have parents who understood that that's what we wanted under the Christmas tree, like you do, Glenn. Um, where would we look for great vintage books? It's never been easier than it is than it is today. Sure. Um, you know, with things like seven nine nine point two and Upland Almanac, uh, with the my pages past column and Upland Almanac, some of the things that I do with RGS and podcasts and things like this, you know, you can sit there and go, you know, pick pick an author, pick Burton Spiller, for instance, and, or George Bird Evans, and in a quick Google search, find all the books that they have written by, you know, on the internet um, out there. So it, it's, it's really pretty simplistic uh, from that fashion. Um, the, the big thing is, is, is where, how do you stumble on these things and find who you like and who you don't like? And earlier on, I, I talked about 
the values of anthologies. Um, Bob DeMott um, did uh, two anthologies, one that was um, about dogs and bird shooting called A Field. He also did a fly fishing um, anthology as well called A Stream. And those are two little paperback books that are, you know, gives you a great opportunity to explore some, some people that are out there. Uh, I think, you know, variety of magazines have new authors and new voices um, and can lead people on that. And, and part of the fun is is the hunt and the pursuit. And it's, it's a little different today than it was uh, yesterday or in days of old. But, uh, you know, finding that that copy of that book that uh, in my case, like I said early on, the Rourke's Old Man and the Boy that uh, that really uh, that resonated um, and while I'm on that a lot of people think of Rourke as being a, a, a big game hunter sure and his Africana things um, which I think is true but I, I really think if you go back um, and look at those stories in The Old Man and the Boy, the lessons that the old man taught him. They were all around. All those lessons of sportsmanship, of conservation, they were all surrounded by gun dogs and quail. And that seminal point, now he went on to do other things, don't get me wrong, but, but I really think he, when you're talking about some of those things, you, you have to keep Rourke in there as, as one of the, the foundations of, of bird hunting um, writers. You know, it's as, funny. Go ahead. I mean, as Babcock, and, and I can you know list a bunch of names, but um, I, I think, you know, I guess I just wanted to make that point of how strongly I feel that uh, the lessons that regarded that uh, were foundational to him were based on dogs, gun dogs, mm-hmm. and quail. Well, and, and speaking of foundational, there are other writers out there who uh, who may have a rep as a big game writer or as a fishing writer, for that matter, whose work, if you seek it out, uh, also includes bird hunting and bird dogs and even their other stuff is certainly worth a look we are all brothers uh, at heart when it comes to uh, the hunting community and and whether they're writing about uh, cape buffalo or woodcock they probably have something of value to say to you as well I don't want to go too deep in the weeds on this one, Glenn Blackwood, but but if we are if we want to become a collector, or we want we're thinking about becoming a collector, or we just think we might have a line on a first edition of a great book by somebody, and we're thinking about buying it, what are the things that are important when we're buying a, a vintage book uh, that uh, that assure that we're going to get a good value and uh, and and maybe feel better about the purchase, even if we do have to kind of hedge our bets with our wife. Well, I, I think the, the first thing that, that I always say about this is you, not everybody needs to buy a first edition Dairy Dale multi-hundred dollar book uh, to read 
Burton Spiller. Okay. Yeah, it's th- cool th- if that's what you want, but you can, whether it's a, a paperback volume or a true first edition, um, the words are the same and the, the intent and everything in it is there. But when we're talking about collectible or good solid vintage books, this is quality, quality, quality. How has the book been taken care of? Has it been in a smoke filled home or has it, is it redolent of pipe smoke? What is the dust jacket like? Um, Are the corners bumped? The, the, more crisp and clean and better off it is the higher price it's going to be with a lot of books trading on the internet right now um, I counsel everybody that book prices are on the internet is kind of like the old Olympic scoring system back when us and the Russians were going head to head and that is you throw out the top one third prices you throw out the bottom one-third prices, and you average the middle third prices, and that's probably a pretty honest estimate of where these book this book is going to trade if if all you know things are equal. I mean, somebody the other day called me about a book and said, "Oh, there's one on the internet for five hundred dollars," and I said, "Well, that's that's interesting," and because I. You know, I thought it was way overpriced at $500. Okay. Um, so that's where I'm saying, you know, that's the, the, the top end and then, you know, on the bottom end. Um, there are certainly, you know, really good, reputable book dealers out there. Dave Foley in the Northeast, Ken Callahan in the Northeast um, does some really good things as well. And, and you can find people there. Or, you know, you can give me a call or shoot me an email and we can direct you in some things as well. But, uh, yeah, it's it's fun. But focus, you know, what I try and tell everybody is, is focus on what is comfortable to you and what your interest level is and then expand out from there. So if you like dog stories, look at dog stories. If you like Grouse and Woodcock stuff, look at grouse and woodcock stuff if you like pheasant stuff look at that if you're more western then writers like waterman and rick bass are probably going to be more appealing if you like southern things then you know Archibald archibald rutledge and babcock um are going to resonate it's it it is an adventure every time you crack the crack the cover of a book whether it like you said whether it's a paperback or a first edition signed version same words in the same order almost always at least sometimes they change the title on you for a third edition but that's another story for another time anyhow glenn blackwood is the columnist at upland almanac talking about books he also does some book reviews for the rough grouse society he's also the regional development director for the rough grouse society glenn if people do want to talk with you how do they reach you um probably the easiest way is uh, i'm going to give you uh, my personal email glenn r blackwood and glenn is with one n g-l-e-n r blackwood at gmail.com um so it's glenn r blackwood with one n like the start of a good scotch at gmail 
Yeah, there are a lot of Glens out there that uh, that are twelve and fourteen years old that I wouldn't <laughs> be wouldn't mind being more acquainted with. So, uh, and you're well, one of them. You know, you're you're well, you're vintage in that regard as well, Glenn Blackwood. It's a pleasure speaking well, with you. Learned a lot, discovered a couple new writers, and uh, hopefully so did everybody else. Thanks so much for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. And thank you for sticking with us coming up. This land is your land. I'm going to talk about a, well, some practical stuff when it comes to accessing the land that we have available to us. But first, a quick note from happyjackinc.com. Manning and Joe Exum are running that operation these days, following the footsteps of their father and their grandfather. It's flea season. Uh, luckily, knocking wood. We don't have to worry about it right here, but if you do, then perhaps you ought to go to happyjackinc.com. Take a look at all the solutions they have there. Non-toxic? You bet. They call it the flea beacon. It is a fascinating product. It uses a little tray with some sticky stuff in it and a little light that attracts all the fleas. A lot of folks will tell you the next morning it looks like somebody sprinkled black pepper on that little tray. It works. Believe me, I've seen it in action. And then on a day-to-day -day basis, depending on where you're going to keep fleas, ticks, and other critters off your dog, I use DD33. It's a spray, doesn't smell bad, and it works. If you watch Wing Shooting USA, the TV show, you've seen me use it in the opening title sequence. Yeah, if you're taking advantage of walk-in country or public uh, ground of one sort or another, that means you're probably traveling a little bit. And if you're traveling, you're looking for a place to stay. And if you're looking to go beyond hotels and motels and Airbnb and VRBO and all of that sort of thing, you're looking at campgrounds and RV parks. Here are some that I've used in the past that have been good to me and maybe haven't quite been on your radar yet. Fairgrounds. I just booked a trip to Lewistown, Montana, where I'll be staying at the fairgrounds and their RV park. Even if it's not advertised or not on any of the directories, consider that as well if you're basing in a town of any size. Done the same thing in here on South Dakota too, by the way. Worked for me. Speaking of Huron, they also have a very nice city RV park. So does Redfield, South Dakota. Right there, handy, close to all the stuff that's important, including a Mexican restaurant that can't be beat. Of course, you know you can hunt. I'm, you can hunt, yes, that too. But you can also camp virtually anywhere on Forest Service and BLM land. Some wildlife refuges. If you're ex-military... Some of those bases have camping, as do some Elks clubs, if you remember. Take a look at all of those options before you, you know, give up or uh, take the, the, the least of the least appealing options. And that is This Land is Your Land, helping you find access to public hunting, just like my website, findbirdhuntingspots.com. I had to put that list up there as well. Most recently, the blog includes 
the first part of a fascinating pheasant facts series. Take a look, learn something you probably didn't know, be useful at that proverbial cocktail party or around the campfire. Speaking of fascinating, thank you, Glenn Blackwood, for insights into the incredible literature that is a part of our sport. If you want to reach him, Glenn R. Blackwood at gmail.com. Thank you, Preston Fulmer, for the suggestion for this podcast. Thank you all for listening. Please tell your friends, rate or review us at Apple Podcasts. Talk to me every day at the Wing Shooting USA and Upland Nation Facebook pages. Speaking of great literature, one of our unsung heroes in the dog world, Groucho Marx. Okay, okay, maybe not, but he did have this to say. And it's related. Groucho says, outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of the dog, it's too dark to read. Thanks again for listening. I'm Scott Linden. I'll see you in the field. <laughs>